Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, family. <clears throat> My name is Renji. Uh, I've been a Covenant community member here at The Well for about five years. Uh, Sarah and I, we... Um, yeah, we're between CGs right now because we moved downtown. So if you live downtown, hit us up. Uh, also uh, on the welcome team here. But today we'll be reading Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and verses 10 through 13. When the seventh month came, and the children of Israel were in the towns, and the people gathered as one man to, Is- to Jerusalem, then arose Jeshua, the son of Josedek, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon and at all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to see to Joppa according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Verse 10, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of King David of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and head of fathers, houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy." so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joy, a joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. This is the word of the Lord. All right, people of God, how are we? Good, good. Hey, I had a joke ready in case it was 100 degrees in here again today. Uh, hopefully I never have to use it. So I'm gonna keep it in my back pocket just in case though, all right? Uh, but hey, if you were here last week uh, and endured through that, thank you. Uh, I actually pray that instead of discouraging you, it actually encourages you to say, man, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to worship Christ and be with the people of Christ, and that it would actually be a nurture for your soul in kind of a strange, almost backwards way. And so uh, what do you know? That segues us into our text for today. Uh, And so if you have your Bibles, Ezra 3, once again, is where we are at. Uh, excuse the nasally a little bit, got a little bit sick this week, and I was also crying between the gatherings. So we're going to see how we do today, how my voice holds up. But 
As we continue in Ezra, uh, looking at how Israel rebuilt and then applying that to our church, really tying vision into this series, we sort of fast forward and almost speed up this account. And it's a really big part of Israel's redemption, the building of the temple. Normally, when you get something significant in Scripture, the account kind of slows down a little bit, and it almost pulls back to allow you to really meditate on what's happening. And you would expect, because the temple is such a significant piece of Israel's history, that it would begin to give you how many cubits some wall was, and how many flowers were on some curtain, and that it would begin to give you all of these details. But it almost speeds up the account in some ways. And for a major piece of the rebuilding puzzle of Israel, you would think that there would be more time. But by the end of the text today, the entire foundation of the temple is laid. But then there's also kind of this confusing, almost like an anticlimactic finish at the end of this temple building. And so understanding this text and where it goes with the rest of the book of Ezra will really help us encourage uh, our minds as we think about the rebuilding of God's church and even God's rebuilding in our own lives. Seeing what's happening in this text will be significant as we move forward in our church and in our life. And so let's chop it up together, all right? Uh, This text starts off by telling us that it was the seventh month. Now, this is an important phrase that we'll come back to in a second. But if you're a Bible underlining or a Bible highlighting type of person, uh, underline that in your Bible. Additionally, notice there in verse 1 that they are called children of Israel, not returnees, not exiles, not uh, children of Judah, because that's who they actually were. But Israel really no longer exists. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that most of Israel has turned into the Samaritans. And yet here we see that these people are called the children of Israel. And so just like the seventh month, this phrase is also really important, which we'll get back to in a second. But our context here is really significant. To kind of give you a sneak peek ahead, five minutes even in the sermon, as to why these two things are significant, what God is doing is he's linking Israel's past with their presence here at the moment. And so seventh month, or the children of Israel, is linking their past with their present situation. Even though sin tried to disrupt and really corrupt who God was, and who God was calling them to be, even though sin tried to distort God's plan, it could not destroy God's plan. I think that many of us, we don't really walk in our calling today because we've allowed the sin of our past to really dictate our, our, our present situation rather than the promises of God's faithfulness to dictate our value towards the future. What we do is rather than uh, linking our past with the beautiful grace and redemption of God, we link our past with our sin and we allow that to define us. And then we think that we have no purpose of the kingdom of God going forward, but that's not true, saints of Christ. Like what you're seeing all throughout the scriptures is that God is not just faithful to his promises, but God also redeems what even sin tried to destroy. And so you may have felt like you were in exile from God, maybe even because of your own sin. And yet what you need to believe is that the grace of God is stronger than even your greatest failures, that God can restore and not just can God restore, God wants to restore. He wants to rebuild. God can restore and use you. 
And so the children of Israel, they gather in Jerusalem, which was the capital city of Judah. And then arose these two key leaders, Jeshua, who would kind of function as the high priest, and Zerubbabel, who would function as a pseudo-king. Now, if you're familiar with the roles of priests and kings in the scripture, you realize this is also a significant moment for the rebuilding process. In fact, Jeshua was a direct descendant of Aaron, the original high priestly lineage, and Zerubbabel is a direct descendant of David. And so once again, we get this linkage with their past. If you're unfamiliar, that's okay. But what God is doing is he's beginning to restore even the old promises of God. Zerubbabel, he's this key figure in this first half of the book of Ezra. And from this moment on, he begins to really take lead in a lot of ways for the people of God. And he's following the word of God. He begins to rebuild and reestablish Israel, not as a nation, because he did not have the authority to do this, but he begins to restore and reestablish them as a worshiping people, which is far greater than reestablishing them as a nation anyway. And so this leader, What you see here is that he's following the word of God, which by the way, anyone that you are following that does not have the word of God as their primary motivation and direction and partnership with the Holy Spirit of God, stop following them. Like God's word is where promises breathe. God's word is what enriches our life. We need to be submitted to and even following people who are submitted to the word of God. That's what Zerubbabel is doing here. He's leading through the word. Notice all the parallels I kind of already set up and don't get lost on me. It's really important for where we're going today, okay? Notice multiple times it says that as it is written, like in verse two and in verse four right away. And so explicitly he's following the word of God as it was written, so now I will do. But even where it's not explicitly stated, implicitly what he's doing is a really clear following of the word of God. For example, God worked really similarly in ancient Egypt through Israel as he did today in this moment. Think about the Moses Exodus story, if you're familiar with it. God worked miracles in that story to take this foreign ruler and to change his heart and to release these Israelites from captivity and then provided for their means with that foreign nation and then kept the Israelites as they walked through the wilderness and then established them in a country and they built the temple with the very tools and the very gold that that foreign nation had given to them when they left. The exact same thing happens in this story. And so we're linking Israel's past with the present as what's happening here. In fact, if you fast forward to verse 11, they literally sing the exact same hymn that they originally sang when the temple was completed the first time. Second Chronicles 16, verse 34, you see them saying literally the exact same words. In fact, the altar was built on the exact same place where the foundation for the original temple was. The building of the temple started in the exact same month that Solomon began to build his temple. They sacrificed 12 goats when they had finished building, just like they did the first time. Like the seventh month theme, 
which we talked about there at the start. In the seventh month is the festival of trumpets, the festival of booths, the day of atonement and the Shemot Torah, which are all really big Jewish holidays. They all happen in the seventh month and they were not able to practice those holidays because they were in exile, but now they're starting the rebuilding at this really significant, the holy month for Israel, connecting them with all of Israel's past. And so they're gathering at this significant time. I could go on and on with the parallels in chapter three. But the point is, is that as they're rebuilding, they're not starting from zero. They're not starting from nothing and then trying to build something. They're building on top of history that is already present and they're linking their past with their present as we just said. They're building on the past promises of God's word. And as God calls you to work for his kingdom, you too are not starting from nothing. You are building upon 2000 years of church history in which every single saint of Christ that has ever been are all chasing the exact same thing, the glory of God. For the Jewish nation here, they're prepping forth this bringing of a Messiah that will deliver them. You and I are doing the exact same thing, saints. We are prepping for the bringing of a Messiah that will deliver us. They were just prepping for his first coming and you and I are preparing for his second coming but we're not disassociated with the people of God in times past. And the reason that that's really important for us to get before we get into the meat of the text is that as the well begins to rebuild, we are not starting brand new. It's not like we're ditching the past efforts of our own church or of church history. We're building upon what God has already done. And when God calls you to start new in your life, you're not starting from nothing. You're building on something that God has already done. You have all of the promises of God that you need to build your life on Christ, do you build on God's past promises, saints? Is this what God is calling you into? That's why we believe so deeply that when you join a local church, you're joining something that can create some generational impact that not one of us could do by ourselves. But as we all collectively do it, we're a part of something really significant, past, present, and future. Hebrews chapter 11 actually gives us a cue to this. I see y'all ain't gonna talk to me today, so we're just, we're just gonna talk, all right? <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 39. It says, all these, which are the saints that God has talked about in the past, all these faithful saints, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Why? Well, God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love this idea that it's like the saints of the past are watching us, almost cheering us on towards the mission and the vision because what we are doing is actually a part of fulfilling the promises of God to them. 
Now, remember two weeks ago, we talked about how our faithfulness, it may supersede us that 2000 years in the future, there may be Argentinian believers that are following Jesus because of what you do today. Your present definitely impacts your future. But this text would tell us that not only does what we do in the present impact what is to come, but what we do in the present also links us and even fulfills the promises of God in the past, meaning that you are a part of something so much more significant than you can ever imagine. You're a part of future and a part of past. And what is happening at this moment in your soul, what is happening is significant, saints. You're a part of the kingdom of God. How wild is that? You're a part of this sort of fulfillment, saints. Like this is what God is calling you into. Your present faithfulness is even fulfilling past promises. That's wild to meditate on. As you build, you're not creating new holidays, new laws, new, no. Like Israel did here, when you're faithful to the commandments of God in the past, trusting that what he said is true. And as you're obedient to the past commands and promises of God, you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Come on, y'all. Do you believe, do you see what God is calling you into That's why we're so serious, once again, about you plugging into some local body. It does not have to be the well, but some local body to be a part of something that is more significant than ourselves. And so let me give you two points about how to apply this idea for today. Uh, This idea of of this rebuilding process, being faithful to God's past promises and and his past commands, Like, like rebuilding is what they're doing here. Rebuilding is what we're thinking about even as a church and what we feel like God is calling us into. And I wanted to give us some sort of visual so that we can not just like think about this and meditate on it, but to be able to walk away with something. So I decided to use my uh, very skilled graphic design uh, skills and put together a quick little visual for us of what we're doing. Imagine rebuilding like an airplane. If y'all wanna hire me, I charge $50 an hour for that, all right? Rebuilding is like an airplane. That's what we're doing. That is the base of the airplane. The body is this idea of rebuilding. Now, the question is, how is it that we fly this plane? Because without the body or without the wings, we just have this body. We're like, yeah, let's rebuild. Let's... But there is two wings to this airplane. And so what are those two wings? What is it that we need to begin to attach to the plane so that the plane will not just fly correctly, but also stay balanced as we're either trying to rebuild a church or as you're trying to rebuild in your own life. And Ezra 3 gives us the, the key, the tricks of, of how you rebuild what God is called calling you to restore. And so two things about rebuilding. There's two wings to this airplane. First of all, notice that soon after this work started, they took this giant step forward toward completing their rebuilding process. They laid the foundation of the temple of God. Like, think about this. They've just come back from exile, right? Like, And their first priority, what is the main thing that is on their mind is the reestablishing of God's house. In fact, Zerubbabel did what many God-fearing men did all throughout the scriptures in that he offered sacrifices to God before virtually any other work had even started. For many of us, we tend to offer sacrifices to God after we complete our own works. 
And so we'll give after we get a job. We'll be faithful to attend church after we get a spouse. We will make sure we go after, come on y'all, right? And that's what we tend to do. But Haggai, which is a temporary prophet of Zerubbabel, Haggai and Zechariah were the two prophets that also prophesied during this time. He warned against this very sort of attitude. He knew that that was the condition of our heart to be tempted to build our kingdoms rather than God's kingdom first. And, And he said this, excuse me, in Haggai chapter one, right away, right? He introduces himself, verse one, and then Haggai chapter one, verse two, says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Ah, I'm too busy. Ah, I gotta do this. Oh, these things are more important, right? The time has not yet come to focus on God first. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Verse nine, you looked for much and behold, came little. And when you bought it home, it blew away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. It's so easy to focus on our house rather than on the house of the Lord, on our kingdom rather than on God's kingdom. And if you think I'm talking about building a local church called the well, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about focusing on the kingdom of God over the kingdom of you over your own kingdom, that that God's kingdom, what God is doing in this earth and in your life is more significant than what you are doing on this earth and in your life. That what God's plans, they, they matter. The exaltation of Christ always needs to be our number one priority as a church and your number one priority as individuals because Jesus is worthy of all praise. And so the first wing of the airplane in order to fly it well is you have to have the right priority. You have to have the right priority. It has to be God's kingdom over your kingdom or else whatever rebuilding you're trying to do, that plane is not going to fly, it'll spiral and crash. The kingdom of God needs to be most significant in your life. And as a church collectively, we need to worship Jesus Christ above and beyond everything else, saints. In fact, often I believe that in a generation that is so focused with self and we consume ourselves often, we tend to think about everything else rather than the mission and the vision of God. But this will not lead to our life nor to flourishing and life for others. It is important that we build the right kingdom in the right order. Matthew chapter six, verse 33, Jesus states this very plainly, right? He says, but seek first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And yet we tend to reverse that. We seek first our kingdom and our righteousness and our world first, and then hope that the kingdom of God comes through that. No, we focus on the kingdom of God. Right priority leads to life, saints. Jesus isn't trying to withhold life from you. He's trying to give it to you. You just don't trust the promises of God. So you take your own hands and begin to try to work it out as if this isn't true. But if you focus on the kingdom first, all things are added. Do you believe that? Do you have the right priority? Is your main priority your kingdom or the Lord's kingdom? Like one will feel like death and sacrifice, the Lord's kingdom, but it will actually lead to life. One kingdom will feel like you're flying when you try to build your own kingdom, but you'll only realize you're not actually flying, you're really just falling and it will perish. 
and all the, the stuff of the world will, will burn and fade and, and rot and wither. And, and like the dew of the morning, it will be consumed and gone. Building the right kingdom in the right order genuinely leads to life, y'all. Like, like it's really interesting in this process here that God was even allowing these external things to force them to believe this truth. Notice in verse three, it says that the fear of the nations was on them. So God is actually using this emotion, whether this emotion was right, wrong, or indifferent to spur them on towards greater faithfulness, towards keeping the main thing, the main thing. Uh, I think about seasons in my life where I have been afraid. Like last year was one of them. I was really afraid at different points in the year. And what fear does is it tends to show us who or what our God truly is. You see, in my fear, I was often tempted to double down on my own efforts, on my own striving, on my own work, on my own thoughts. And what happened is I keep saying, my, 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 and I end up building my kingdom rather than God's kingdom. And I think that each of us can relate. Uh, let me say it plainly if that doesn't connect. Like when you're afraid, and when you are concerned, do you build God's homes or do you start building homes for yourself? What takes up more of your mind? The fact that Austin's really expensive and that you can never get a home or the fact that the kingdom of God is coming, let's build a mansion there, yeah. right? Or do you stay in Babylon altogether and you're not even back in Jerusalem here at this state? Like, like fear often shows us where our priorities are. Fear can be a really good gift if we know how to use it because it starts to expose the deep things of our heart. Right priorities in the right order. Um, nobody's talking today, so that's all right. Let me give you another easy example since you ain't getting this, all right? No, now you with me, right? But now the sermon's three minutes longer, okay? <laughs> Verse five, right? They make free will offerings, it says there, okay? Uh, hello, these are exiles. They just came out of poverty. They don't have anything to offer, but look at how many times the word offering is used in that text. And all of these are voluntary offerings. And they're doing all of this in the midst of their poverty and in the midst of all of this fear from the nations. Remember, they're rebuilding without even a wall. There is genuine reason to be concerned. People could come in and immediately consume all of this gold and destroy them, yet they're offering to God. And so when the economy crashes, like when our walls fall, like, do you still give? Uh, I'm trying to get really practical, right? Like, like, or do you fear? And you start building a different kingdom first. Fear shows us our heart's priorities. And so when the foreign enemy of busyness comes into your life, do you cut out God's kingdom first? Or do you cut out something so that you can still be a part of God's kingdom? Hello, I guess I'm talking to me, all right? Make sacrifices for God's kingdom, believing that the kingdom of God is greater and the kingdom of God is where you're going to be going one day anyway. You might as well build there. You might as well build there. Do we build our homes first or God's? Listen, I love y'all tremendously. You know this if you're a part of this church. And I am thoroughly convinced, I am fully convinced 
that when you try to build God's kingdom and God's people, when this is your primary thought, what happens is, is you're thinking about heavenly things. And so it's almost as if your soul begins to lift up into the heavenlies and you begin to be enriched in your soul in ways that are life-giving. But when you think about the earthly kingdom first, it's like your soul descends down here to earth and you're wondering why there's not connection between you and God or why there's not greater purpose in life. You're focused down here rather than up here. To focus on the kingdom of God is life. And I want life for you, family. I want Christ to be shining in and through your hearts. This is an unbelievable moment. And these people were a part of something way more significant than they even realized. They focused on God's kingdom. And these people got to be a part of something almost impossible. The restoring of the temple, the rebuilding of what had been destroyed. Like praise God, right? Like what a place to be. Could you imagine being a part of redemptive history like this? They had the right priority, wing one of the airplane. So you would think that after the laying of this foundation, they would have this like litty lit party, right? But the story is so strange, y'all. And it's actually one of three or four times in the scroll of Ezra and Nehemiah where something awesome, something unbelievable happens, but it gets met with this really strange emotion. It's so strange that we need to read it again, okay? And so Ezra chapter three, they just finished building the foundation and look at verse 12. Many of the priests, the Levites, the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard from far away. Womp, womp, womp. Right? Like, like could you imagine this moment? Like, Put yourself here, a part of history, uh, or maybe here, let's bring it into modern day. Let's pretend that, uh, you know, a year from now, we're sending off Travis to go do a church plant. And it's an exciting Sunday for us. We wanna plant churches. We wanna multiply and, and Travis comes up and let's say that there's 25 people with him that come up and say, we're gonna go plant this church as well. And we're like happy and there's some tears and we're like, oh, we don't want you to leave because we love you, but we're really excited about what God is doing. And, and there's this rejoicing moment. And then somebody stands up in the back and they're like, man, Juha's church had 40 people go with him. How awkward would that be? Y'all felt awkward at that analogy, right? That would be so, somebody would get excommunicated in church, okay? Like that would be so, that seems so out of place. That seems so inappropriate. And yet that's what happens at this moment. In fact, what happens here, and then some discouragement in chapter four, which we'll get to next week, resulted in a 16 year delay of the completion of the building of the temple. And so even though the hardest part of the work, the foundation laying was down, because of this discouragement, it led them to completely stop the process. In fact, it would be one of two really long delays in the uh, scroll of Ezra in the completion of God's work. And here's what happened and here's how it applies to us. If wing one of the airplane is having the right priority, then wing two of the airplane is having the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective. 
We need to make sure that we understand that what we're doing is significant. The wrong perspective can really lead you to stop rebuilding your life or the life of God's church. Some of the elders who remembered that work that they were doing, they also remembered the old work of God and they began to mourn at this lesser work of God. And there's honestly great reason for this. There's some understanding as to why they felt so hurt by this. This temple was probably about a fourth of the size of the original temple. And in fact, every time that God had finished or the people finished building the tabernacle or the temple, the glory of God came from heaven, landed on the temple, went into the Holy of Holies, and the people were always on their faces because of the glory of God. And yet here you see no Shekinah glory descending. Something is wrong maybe. Something is up. It's confusing. This leads the elders to mourn. Despite them doing all the same work, despite them linking themselves with the past, despite them singing the exact same hymns as before, there seems to be this discouragement. And for us in this text, there is great encouragement, warning, and instruction for us at the, at the response of the elders. It seems like the Bible is implicitly saying that instead of doubling down on this work, their discouragement led to a halt in the process because they lost perspective. And so very simple question for us, do you maintain building the church of God and building your life around Christ, even through discouragement? Like, because following Christ isn't always gonna be what you desire it to be. There's going to be speed bumps along the way. And you have to maintain the right perspective. Haggai and Zechariah, we already said this, they were the two prophets that prophesied during this reign. And Haggai actually speaks to this moment directly. In Haggai chapter two, beginning in verse three, notice what he says here about this moment. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? Hey, how, how do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. God is saying that just because something doesn't seem like you expect it to be, doesn't mean that he's not working in your midst. We often give up too quickly because we do not see the glory of God descending at every event that we put on. And so rather than laboring in the building of the church, because we don't see the glory of God, we have the wrong perspective and then we give up. Because you have been sharing the gospel with your family member for 10 years and you've not seen them come to faith, you have the wrong perspective because it seems like God isn't moving. So rather than fearing not and doubling down on that work, you give up because you have the wrong perspective. God is saying, listen, I am still moving in your midst. Just because it doesn't seem like it doesn't mean I'm not active. It may not seem like God is moving in your life. It does not mean that God is not active. God may not shine glory into every discipleship meeting that you have. That doesn't mean that he's not moving in that person's life. Do you have the right perspective? 
Zechariah chapter four, he speaks on this moment as well. And he says this really, really simple. He says, for whoever despise the day of small things, they shall rejoice. What is he saying? He's saying, don't despise the, despise the small things. Like the temple is smaller. Okay. So like we often think that only through bigger and better is where God is glorified. Not realizing that minor acts of obedience can have major implications to our faith, like the bringing forth of the Messiah. If you had told these elders that what they were doing at this moment was preparing the way so that the Messiah of Israel, the redeemer of the world could come, you better believe that this morning would have turned to rejoicing and they would have been like, oh, cool. We're a part of something massive. But because they didn't know that the Messiah would come through this, there was this moment that led to their weeping and their mourning. And you have to keep the right perspective because as Casey just said over us, 2 Corinthians 5, or 1 Corinthians 15, 57, nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. Nothing, nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. None of the works of God will return void. Just because you don't see the glory of God descending does not mean that God isn't moving, saints. God may be moving right in the midst of us. Do you endure when things do not look like you think that they should within your own life? Do you endure? Are you able to see past you? Are you able to see that small acts of obedience and faithfulness to Yahweh may bring forth glory in ways that you can never ever imagine? And it may not fill a temple with glory for a moment, but your work may fill a soul with glory for eternity. You are part of something bigger than you can ever dream, saints. Faithfulness, perspective, endurance is what God is calling us into. And so let's just say this short-term team that we're sending to Japan, part of the reason we're sending them is that some of them are praying about going to Japan long-term. And let's say that they decide to go to Japan long-term and they're there for 10 years and they don't see a single person come to faith. Is it still worth it to go to the nation simply to be obedient to God? Do you have the right perspective is obedience to God more significant than the fruit of your labor? Like, like think about in your discipleship, you pour into somebody for two years and then they decide to punt the faith and they're no longer following Jesus. Is it still worth it to simply offer to God a sacrifice of obedience? Is fruit nice? Of course right? Like that's beautiful when we get to see the work of God, but faithfulness pleases God and right perspective will help us endure. Hebrews 11, they died without receiving the promises of God, but that's what you and I are now playing into is fulfilling those promises, but they were faithful and they're locked into the hall of faith because of their faithfulness and obedience. You have to have the right perspective. You have to see things clearly. And so you give to a church, and that leader turns corrupt, does that mean your giving was corrupted? Or does your obedience supersede his or her foolishness and bring glory to God in a beautiful way that maybe you'll never see until the kingdom come? Do you have the right perspective? Or do you allow former church hurt to stop you from building the church today? Do you have the right perspective? 
Can you see past the disappointment in the rebuilding process and be faithful knowing that what you're a part of is linking your future and who may come from our faithfulness and linking the past and bringing it together at this moment. Perspective is the second call of this chapter. It's the second wing of the airplane. And keeping these two things is how we fly effectively. Because if you only have perspective, and you don't have right priority, then you'll be thinking about the right thing. But sooner or later, you'll start building the wrong kingdom and that plane will begin to spin out of control and you will crash. Or if you have the right priority, but you don't have perspective, you'll be building the kingdom for a while, but then you won't have the right perspective. You'll lose heart, you'll circle and you'll crash. You need both of them to help you fly and to keep you balanced. This is what God is calling us to Chris loves that graphic. I saw you laughing, Doug. And listen, y'all, we have this most plainly for us in what and who this story is actually pointing us towards. And that is our King, Jesus. You see, every other time the temple was built, when it was finished, the glory of God shone down upon it, we see. And so it kind of makes sense that they were confused. They were discouraged. Like what's happening here? Why isn't God moving like he had been moving in the past? However, just shortly after this temple that Ezra was building was finished, we see the greater temple, his name is Jesus, coming onto the scene. And this is how our connection with the gospel and this idea of the story in Ezra should breathe life into our own souls. Think about the person of Christ. First of all, Jesus is the greater temple of God. All the temples that you go to, do you know why you went to the temple? It was a place where you met with God and where you offered atonement for your sin, where you were made righteous. You offered an animal, God atoned you. That means he made you right. You were reconnected to the presence of God. So at the temples, you met with God and you saw, sought, found atonement. And yet here comes Jesus in John chapter two. And he says this, at the beginning of his ministry, according to the gospel of John, In verse 19, he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, hold on, it's taken 46 years to build the temple. They're talking about Ezra's temple, like what we're reading about right now. It's taken 46 years to build the temple and you will raise it up in three days? but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken, past faithfulness, right? And so remember the temple is where you met with God and made sacrifices to God. And so Jesus's broken body is what we participate in every week at communion because we believe it's reminding us that through the temple of Jesus being broken, we are now able to meet with God. But also through this broken body, you and I are atoned for. We are made righteous. Jesus takes on our sin, which is why he got broken and he gives us his righteousness instead. But remember, when every other temple was finished, the glory of God came and it shined all over that temple. And when Jesus's temple was almost finished, guess what happened? The glory of God came and shone upon him. In all four gospel accounts, if you're familiar with the scripture, there's this story of the transfiguration 
where Jesus goes up on top of a mountain and he stands there and the heavens open up and the glory of God comes and the radiating glory is all over Jesus. He is showing that he is the temple of God that God has come and dwelt in and is pleased with. His presence is surely amongst Jesus. They were surely in the midst of the temple. God approves of the building. He dwelled with Christ. In fact, right after this statement, what we would see is that Jesus would say that he was now going to build the church of God, which would become the new temple of God, which we'll get to in a moment. But Jesus is our temple. He is our great example. And yet, shortly after the transfiguration, Jesus died. And as he died, the scripture tells us that everything went black. It wasn't just that the glory of God had left the temple who was Christ. It was as if the glory was leaving the entire earth. The entire skies went black and the glory left Jesus's temple. Why? Because that's what you and I deserve. We do not deserve to have the glory of God radiating in us and through us because of our sin, because of our exile, just like Israel had just experienced because of their sin. You and I do not deserve to have the glory of God shining upon us. And yet Jesus didn't stay dead. He resurrected. If you tear down this temple, you don't need a whole rebuilding effort to rebuild it again. I'll restore myself in three days, he says. And as he resurrects, he raises himself and he ascends. And now guess what? We are his temple, the scripture says. I'm sorry, what? Like, like the Holy Spirit is now on us and in us and shines through us, showing the glory of God amongst us, showing that God approves of your temple building. If you are a believer in Jesus and have the Holy Spirit, it means God approves of you. It means his presence is within your temple. And what that means is, through you is a place where you can meet with God and find this forgiveness of Christ, but also through our works, other people can meet with God and find forgiveness in our King Jesus. You become an ambassador, a missionary, somebody who shows forth the beauty of God through the gospel message. This is unbelievable, y'all. And now the church of God is filled with a bunch of mini temples. And as each of us build up the church stone by stone or person by person, we're building up the kingdom of God until glory himself comes. You are a part of something unbelievable, saints. You're a part of something beautiful. Second, or, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter three. I've been meditating on Second Corinthians recently a lot. And it says this. Now, if the ministry of death carved in stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses's face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Do you know what is permanent? Your soul, if you are a believer in Jesus, there is glory that is coming, that is permanent, that dwells within you. You are a part of a building of a temple that is unreal, saints of Christ. 
He goes on in, in verse uh, 18 to end it like this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, Christ's image, like the transfiguration glory from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so saints, Build the temple of God. Like here, like you're a part of something unbelievable. Like the people around you, right? Not the institution of the well, like the saints of Christ and build yourself as you're a part of this. You're a part of building glory eternally. You're a part of something so significant. And so how do we apply this in light of the gospel? It's really simple. Three quick things. One, have the right perspective, y'all. Have the right perspective. Do you know how easy it is to lose heart because you hit the wall at times in the faith? Do you know how easy it is to lose hope because that sin seems to send you into exile for a moment? But do you know that every place where the people of God are sent into exile in the scripture, God also redeems them from that exile? So yes, your sin may momentarily cripple you, but don't you know that your God heals? Like, can't you realize that the right perspective in your family, in your relationships, in your marriage, in your parenting, in this church, in your missional work, and whatever it is, have the right perspective that nothing that you do for the Lord is in vain. Nothing, nothing that you do for the Lord is in vain. Ask the Holy Spirit, even right now, God, where have I lost perspective? Where have I lost perspective? Second application, have the right priority. Ask the Holy Spirit right now, Spirit of God, where am I building my kingdom over yours? And believe the promises of God that to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is truly where life is. And then as you do that, all other things are added. Ask him. God speaks to us still, saints. Ask the Spirit, would you reveal to me how you want me to sacrifice for your kingdom. And I believe as you do that, you'll find joy. The third quick application, you know, throughout this series, we've been creating some prayer points. We're gonna do this every week because there's no rebuilding effort that happens apart from the power of prayer. Prayer is where we see the movement of God in the most mysterious and beautiful ways. So we want to be a praying church. And so we wanna pray at the end or within each of these sermons over yourself and over our church. And so pray this really, really simple prayer. Lord, help me to have a sacrificial heart for your kingdom and give me strength to endure so that I don't grow weary as I labor for your kingdom. Pray for a sacrificial heart and for an enduring heart. Like pray that over me, please. Pray that over your CG shepherds. Pray that over yourself, over your spouse, over your kids, over your friends, over lost people who don't yet know the Lord fully and yet you desire them to be a part of this kingdom. Like, let's be a praying church. And I pray that as we are faithful and as we think about the Lord, that you would realize that you are building something for King Jesus, a temple that will never, ever fade. The exaltation of Christ is why we are here on this earth. And so let us exalt him in every way that we possibly can, in our jobs, in our home, in our play, in this church, because the kingdom of God is before us. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray together. Jesus, I believe 
that in your power and in your grace and in your mercy, you are able to take these simple truths of the scripture, these simple promises that you have and integrate them into these women and men's hearts in a way that will bear fruit for a lifetime. So I pray that you would do that right now, Jesus. Christ, that you would reveal to us where we're building our kingdom. We repent, I repent of that, Jesus. It is so easy to build the wrong kingdom. God, we repent of that collectively and say, help us to be a part of building something so much more significant than ourselves. Jesus, I pray that you would give us right perspective, give us right priority. God, I pray for anyone who may have walked into this room today and they're actually unsure of where they are in their relationship with you. Friends, you may have come in and you maybe didn't realize that you were meant to be the temple of God. That your soul was meant to be the place where God dwells, where you can have relationship with God and where you can have atonement, forgiveness, righteousness, the glory of God, relationship with God eternal, where shame and guilt are removed. And friend, I want you to know that through faith in Jesus, when you say, God, I believe in you, I wanna follow you. Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you help me to walk into your kingdom? Would I get to be a part of this? That God comes and dwells and makes you a temple. That you're a part of the kingdom of God the temple eternal forever. And that your life has meaning and purpose and depth. You're a part of something beautiful. We enter that through faith. And so God, I pray for everyone who came in unsure of where they are with you. I pray they would leave desiring relationship with you. They would say, God, I wanna follow you. God, I wanna know you. And Christ, I pray for everybody who has made that profession of faith, who says, God, we wanna follow you. Would you make our heart your home? Would we be the temple of God? Jesus, I pray for each of us, Spirit, that you would reveal to us how we can seek your glory more, that you would help us not to lose heart, that you would give us the right priority to put you first, that you would allow us to really believe that this word is true. Jesus, would you do an unbelievable work in each of these men, in each of these women? Would they know your grace? Would they right now even hear your pleasure? Saints, some of you have been serving for years and years and years and the enemy wants you to lose heart. Keep the right perspective. Jesus, would you help us keep the right perspective that nothing we do for you is in vain? God, would we as a church be a part of seeing this city come to redemption? of seeing families come to redemption, of planting 100 churches nationally and internationally so that the glory of you may expand. Would you allow us to be a part of that, Jesus? 
God, we love you. We thank you. I just praise things in your beautiful name, Christ. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.